Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Exorgat Deus discipend toward inimici eius, et fugiacio derentheum a facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. <clears throat> there is a prominent talking head, you may know him, his name is Glenn Beck, and he's asking the question this week, why the Hamas attack on Israel, which is in devastation, commensurate to the devastation that happened on September 11th, um, in psychological terms, is far, far worse than anything that happened on September 11th. While <clears throat> many people died on September 11th, there was not a deliberate targeting of women and children like there was in the attack on Israel. And he's asking why the response is so different. Well, I think we should get into that, because there are a few key factors that I don't think Mr. Beck is taking into account. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proerium. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraesidium. Imperet illideis, supplicas de precamur. Tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum detrude. Amen. Cor Jesus sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatis carolus e domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvieribus. Ave Maria purissima, immaculata conceptio est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Okay, so, <clears throat> why? Huh. Why is it different? Well, 
For starters, look at who was attacked. Think about it. Israel, small nation, powerful nation, most advanced military on earth. Key, key factor, key, key thing of importance, the most advanced military on earth. They've got the Iron Dome. They've got, like, they've got so many tools with which to protect themselves. Some of the question comes in, how did it, like, how was it even allowed to happen? Now, the paragliders thing, I think, was one of those things that militarily was impossible to stop. Paragliding, for those of you who don't know, you basically have a parachute, <clears throat> a wing-shaped parachute, and a fan with a motor strapped to a seat. Now, you'll see occasionally, for, particularly if you've been around large bodies of water, anywhere along the coast, in particular coastal California, up around San Francisco, you, you, see, a lot of, you see a lot of paragliders. Militarily, I would not have responded to the paragliders either. I certainly would not have shot them down because there's a very high like like up to this point, para, uh, the parasail has only ever actually been used by tourists. It's not a particularly effective military weapon except for a surprise attack. So they were going to get in and do their thing regardless. That was going to happen. They were at least going to make it to get their boots on the ground and start the carnage. As far as your response times, I'm not even going to get into all that because, in all honesty, I don't know enough about the system with the Israeli Defense Force that they have in place. I do know that it's one of the most efficient, and it raises and and to really do a deep dive in that, you have to ask some questions that will immediately get you called a conspiracy theorist, and. Quite frankly, I don't care enough to ask those questions. As for the rest of it, the Iron Dome, I don't know what was going on with the Iron Dome. I don't know why they didn't respond to the breaches of the fence. I don't know why you had these little guys on on G.I. Joe Ranger boats, you know, managing to make a, a, sea, a, a, a landing on the coast, um, except that, again, the the type of inflatable boats that they were using, the little inflatable speedboats, those are often used on the ocean uh, for recreation, or at least boats that are very similar to them are used for recreation. And so I don't know that I necessarily would have shot, the, you know, I don't think I would have necessarily conducted a military response to that either. Um, at least not until they got on the ground and you could actually see clearly what their intent was, because as I understand it, I don't think they opened fire until they actually landed. And if that's the case, then, you know, a proper response has to be a response and not a proactive action, um, lest you find out that you just killed a whole bunch of tourists. So for the air invasion and for the sea invasion, I'm willing to cut a bit of slack to the, to the Israeli Defense Force. It's the ground one where they went through the fences that, ha that actually has me baffled. Um, the fact that all three of these things happened simultaneously is actually a testament to the planning that went into it. Um, now, that raises some other questions about intelligence, because surely somebody had to notice the traffic, you know, the comms traffic for the planning. But again, there are ways to conceal that, and you can do 
all sorts of nifty stuff, you know, communications via satellite phone. And there's a bunch, there are a bunch of alternatives that you can use from normal standard communications that would set it just off to the side and make it very, very difficult to respond. Or at least to, uh, to proactively defend. <clears throat> now, the military aspect of it notwithstanding, now we have to get into the geopolitics. Why is the world reacting differently? Because the world is not afraid of Israel. On September 11th, in the aftermath of September 11th, I remember many news reports saying that, you know, there were diplomats and ambassadors who were immediately genuflecting and kissing the ring of the American president, to speak metaphorically, to let them know that they, do, they had nothing to do with it. Because that was actually the initial response was fear was whoever did this was about to get their asses kicked. And it was going to be severe, and it was going to be harsh, and the only question was, is America going to nuke the nation responsible? And I remember that being a distinctive question, because nukes were on the table. But if nukes were the only threat, that's still, you know, that's severe, but it... Well, let me back up, because I'm stumbling over myself right now. Nukes generally seem impractical. For something like September 11th, every single ambassador, every single political leader understood that if America decided to nuke whoever did it, nobody was going to raise a public outcry. And that no matter what America decided to do, nobody was going to stand against that. And this is important. There is a large, large difference from commiserating with the moral outrage of such an attack versus simply standing by and staying the hell out of the way. And that's what actually happened. What we have is this nasty tendency because so many countries came, came to our aid, even though we didn't need not a single one of them, we romanticize the past thinking that all of these countries did it out of the goodness of their hearts and because they were commiserating with our pain. They were not. They were terrified. Two and three years prior to September 11th, a few years prior, I should say, there was an event that happened in Central Asia. And this was a, a change, a world-changing moment. And a lot of people don't even know it happened. I only know it happened because I arrived at my battalion a couple of months after the exercise was over. In 1997, there was an exercise called, uh, called CENTRASBAT, which is an acronym for, I think it was uh, Central Asia Battalion or whatever. I, I don't actually know what the acronym stood for. I do know that it was a combined arms joint sort of training exercise that the United States of America under President Bill Clinton participated in. And part of the participation was him making the phone call to the 82nd Airborne Division because it was in the last couple of days uh, before the, the quick reaction force rotation changed. He made a call to the, to the QRF in the 82nd and sent them on the training exercise. He called 
and 19.4 hours. That is 19 hours and 23 minutes. After he made that call, a battalion of paratroopers were falling out of the sky, seizing an airfield in Kazakhstan. <clears throat> As I said, it was a joint operation. It included the nations of Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, and a few others, Georgia and a couple of others. Russia did participate in it as kind of a little bit more of an observer. And it was in that moment that the whole world realized that if the United States could drop a battalion with six airplanes, imagine what they could do with the more than 300 aircraft they have. And one of the reasons why I've, one of the reasons I've been a critic of the Iraq war is because we could have done the same thing in Iraq. When we decided that we were going to go into Iraq, we could have mobilized the 82nd, the 101st, 10th Mountain, and others, 3rd ID, 1st Cav, and a, a, a slew of others. We could have actually mobilized and dropped them off in Iraq within a day. In the same 24 hours that the call was made, which is to say that 18 hours after President George Bush gave the go-ahead, when he said Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein has 24 hours to, sur to surrender, 18 hours after he said that, we could have actually been dropping paratroopers and air assault troopers, helicopter, uh, helicopter troops, air cav, and others all over his country. Over the entire country. We could have taken the airports, we could have taken the cities, we could have had the entire the entire Iraqi national government subdued in 48 hours. We didn't because of the because of the quote unquote coalition of the willing, which if I recall correctly was 23 other nations who participated. But even though we slowed ourselves down, and we slowed ourselves down tremendously to keep from outrunning everybody too far, it still took two weeks for the next best nation to mobilize. Two weeks. Think about that. That was the country that was attacked on September 11th. The country that could deploy divisions, tens of thousands of soldiers in a couple of days. We look back and we say, well, all of these people, they joined us, right? I mean, they were there with us for the coalition of the willing. It took some negotiating and then, and then Bush came out and gave his 24-hour warning. But we didn't need them. If we went on if we went on a Middle Eastern con conquering campaign, nobody on earth could stop us and nobody would because to be perfectly honest with you, once it was outed what was going on, we could have said and we did say pretty much whatever we wanted. And we could have done anything. We could have gone into Syria, sacked Syria. We could have taken Lebanon. We could have taken Egypt. We could have we could have actually taken every nation 
from Morocco to Pakistan. Not only would they not have stopped us, they wouldn't have been able to stop us. And think about the land area that that covers. You're like, oh, that couldn't possibly be true. I'm sorry, dear family. It is true. We held a nation of 30 million people with 50,000 soldiers, and only 10,000 soldiers in that count were actually warfighters. And we held that country for 20 years. Let that sink in. We held a nation of 30 million people for 20 years with 10,000 combat troops. If we would have done Iraq differently, we could have done the same. If we would have done Iraq the way we should have, we would have actually taken control of Iraq within, within a couple of days, pretty much decapitated the government, maintained the Iraqi military, basically brought everybody in, started cleaning out some of the corruption, maybe, 50-50 shot on the cleaning out corruption. If you know how the U.S. If you know how the US government works, then, you, then you'll understand what I mean by maybe when it comes to cleaning out corruption. But even without that, we could have actually just decapitated the Iraqi government, installed our own leadership, maintained the structure of the Iraqi government, and moved on with nobody the wiser. And we would have had Iraq, and we would have had Afghanistan, and we could have actually just kept going. It's a little bit on the sad side, because when you look at it, we could have done a lot more than what we did. And had we done the, quote-unquote, a lot more than what we did, um, <clears throat> we probably would have been a stabilizing force on Earth, instead of what we did. I don't want to get too sidetracked into all of that. But for those who are looking, going, well, you know, could you have really? A lot of those nations, a lot of the nations from, from the Levant all the way to India didn't actually have large governments. You don't need a large govern a large behemoth of a government like what we have in the United States to actually maintain control of a nation. And we could have easily just decapitated all of the governments that we wanted to decapitate in one quick sweep from, from, from the Levant to India, and we would have been just fine. That is the difference. Like, can we fight a war on two fronts? Yes, actually. When we're properly equipped, when we have all of the materiel, and we have the personnel, and, oh, hey, by the way, we have the proper ideologies in place within the military, yes, we can fight a war on multiple fronts. Yes, we can actually, we would have been able to, in the aftermath of September 11th, sustain conflict all over the planet. We could have actually, like, legitimately could have united the whole world under the United States. We didn't. 
by the time people would have, in all honesty, and here's the thing. I can go into the conjecture. The fact is, is that if we moved fast enough, by the time anybody would have been able to respond, it would have been moot. Because violence of action is best executed rapidly. You don't want to take your time playing with your enemy. You don't want to take time toying with your food. Violence of action includes rapidity. Now, what I've stated are facts. I've included some opinion in there, obviously, but the but the the core the core movements of what I was talking about were fact. Now let's compare America at 9-11 to Israel these last couple of weeks. Israel has made the case repeatedly that they are in danger of being swallowed up by the Arab world. Their case, the case that they've made, is that they need the Iron Dome, they need a strong uh, defense force, they need to have the walls, they need to have the borders, they need to have the level of security that they have, because if they do not, they will be wiped off the map. And with the evidence that we have from Hamas and the rhetoric coming out of Hezbollah and out of Iran, that seems to be true. Iran didn't say, oh, we had nothing to do with that. Iran said, yeah, we did that. What does that tell you? That tells you that while Iran is a little bit, is questioning whether or not they could take out Israel, they do know that Israel cannot erase them from the face of the earth. They know that for a fact. They could be crippled. They could have all sorts of resources <clears throat> broken and destroyed in, su in such a way that they won't be able, they'll have to spend a lot of time rebuilding them. But they know that they cannot be erased. In the aftermath of 9-11, America could have erased any country it wanted. We could have literally deleted them from the face of the earth. And to a degree, we still can. We could have irradiated Afghanistan and obliterated the entire nation. We could irradiate Iran and annihilate the entire nation. Basically erase Iran from the map together with all their people. We could do it with Iraq. We could do it with Europe. We could do it with Russia. Russia, we have the issue of potentially mutually assured destruction. But North Korea? You don't think we could take North Korea and China? We could easily. We have the power of deletion. Now, if you want to get into a war, that's a completely different deal. But we have the capacity to just erase the country off of the map. We had the capacity, as of the last count that I was aware of, to erase every nation off of the face of the earth. We could reduce single-handedly the entire human species to extinction. Between us and Russia, there's no other country who can do that. 
Israel can't do that. They may have nukes. We're fairly certain they do. They don't talk about it. But they don't have nukes to the quantity that we do. They don't have nukes to the quantity that could erase a nation like Iran off of the map. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So, of course, the response is different. We have our allies. So, England, Great Britain, actually the entire United Kingdom. So, that's uh, Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, Australia, Canada. The Anglosphere, we're all allies, ostensibly. We wouldn't have to eradicate it. We like it wouldn't even have wouldn't even be a thing. We've been longtime allies with France. We're sort of on speaking terms. I mean, we're basically on speaking terms with everybody in Europe because we are pretty close with most of the EU. We do have some questions with Turkey. I mean, they say they're our friends, but they're really kind of more like frenemies. I'm not a fan. I've never liked the nation of Turkey. Um, it is, in fact, Constantinople. <clears throat> And as far as I'm concerned, Constantinople is part of my holy land. But all that notwithstanding, there's large swaths of the population that would be largely left untouched. We've been in pretty good discourse with India. Um, obviously, Japan has been an ally since we forced them to kill their god emperor. <clears throat> 
force them to commit patricide. Like, what the hell, man? Anyway. Anyway. As far as Africa, Africa is not a big enough deal for anybody. Um, we've done a pretty good job in making sure that they're completely unstable. Even Botswana, which is the, by far the wealthiest nation in Africa, they don't have the capacity to make any moves in any direction whatsoever. They can get into, you know, some trade agreements here and there, but they really actually have zero, like, disproportionately little influence given the size and strength of their economy. If you guys want to confirm, like, I would highly recommend, actually, do some research on Botswana and then ask why they're not the key representatives of their continent. <clears throat> You know, we've been in kind of good speaking terms with South Africa since we got rid of the apartheid, although <laughs> none of us can say that we agree with the new government. And the old government was apparently so bad for, I don't, I'm not entirely sure why, actually. At the time, it seemed like a big deal. But then again, you know, let's be real. At the time, we didn't know that they were lying to us pretty much with every breath that came out of their mouth. So, you know, that whole free South Africa movement was just a psyop. Compared to what they have now, it's a horror show. So congratulations, America, for managing to break yet another country. And to say nothing of Central and South America, that's American meddling pretty much the whole way through. And it's not totally American meddling. You know, the, the importation of Nazis in the aftermath of the Second World War so they had someplace to hide out, that certainly did not help. You know, you're going to have those ideologies going to carry over... Um, Particularly, and I'm not talking about the ideology of National Socialism. I could care less about that one. The one that was actually really the deleterious ideology that spread like wildfire around the world was eugenics. That is a Western thing. That's straight out of America. The idea that you can breed people like you do dogs. That's just stupid. <clears throat> so, anyway. Where was I? Man, I really derailed myself. Sorry about that, y'all. Um, <clears throat> I think I've made most of the point. The key difference is the fear. When we could drop thousands of troops in your country, and we can control your skies, and we can control your communications. Now, that's getting to be a little bit more precarious, but keep in mind that we do actually ultimately have the greatest control over all satellite communications in the world. And that's not a small feat. GPS, like China has been working to try and supplant us, when it, in particular with its own GPS system. Because our GPS system is actually the one that the whole world uses. And at any point in time we decide to, we decide to black out a country, we can. That's kind of important when you have that level of control. So you, can, so you can eliminate the communications, you can control the skies, and you can drop troops on the ground, and you can jam, and you can jam even the radio communications. Like, <clears throat> our capacity as a military is far more terrifying than anything Israel can roll out. They don't have control over any of that stuff. And then you add to it, the, while it's not the largest navy, it is still the most powerful navy for now. It most certainly was in the early 2000s. But while it's not the largest Navy, it's certainly still the most powerful Navy. 
we have the most advanced Air Force. Like, we've got it covered all the way to outer space. So it's kind of a big deal. Now, that's not quite so true anymore. And if it were true, still, then Israel, when they got American backing, like they have these last couple of weeks, would have America on its side and would have everybody else taking a breath and holding it until they decide, until they see what it is that actually transpires. <clears throat> but Beck's core claim is that in the aftermath of 9-11, and one of the things that he finds so shocking is that in the aftermath of 9-11, the whole world was on our side. They understood the morality, supposedly. So the core thesis of this counter-argument is no, they don't. And they didn't then. In the aftermath of September 11th, the whole world was afraid that we would annihilate it. That whoever it turned out was responsible for the attacks on se September 11th would be erased from the face of the earth. And they rightly had that fear because this is the same country that erased whole cities like Dresden, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, whole cities during the Second World War. We had firebombed locations so bad as to <laughs> that the term firestorm actually literally means a tornado made out of flame. That was America. They weren't commiserating with us because we lost 3,000. Bro, we were in a country of 280, 290 million people. What's 3,000 people out of an almost 300 million? Like 3,000 people out of 300 million. It's not even a congressional district, bro. There are some counties in America that don't have populations of 3,000. Most counties have populations way larger than three counties. That they eradicated a zip code is only because New York, the World Trade Center, had its own zip code. It wasn't about the people who died. Yeah, you could see the images of people jumping to their death just before the building collapsed or while the building was collapsing. Yeah, I got it. Traumatizing, painful. But there was nobody who was flayed. There was nobody decapitated, except by accident, whatever happened to land on them. There was nobody held hostage. It was visceral. It was painful. You watch the building collapse and people are dying. And yes, even when you're watching the building collapse, it's stoking that memory and it's drawing up the pain, especially if you had family in the building. But do you honestly think that the same visceral reaction came out of somebody living in Nevada for 9-11 that came out of somebody living in Nevada when they watched Hamas? 
So when they sit there and they can look and see what Hamas did to these people, we still have to ask the question. This is all the way over there. What are we doing? Do you understand that I would have had absolutely no problem whatsoever if a Californian said, but that was New York. That's not here. I didn't really have an issue. I had a little bit. And I've met people who were like, well, I mean, it's New York, so I don't give a fuck. I don't care. New York's a cesspool. All they did was help clean it out. That was, of course, spoken by like someone who's never been. And those were Americans who said that. People who watched the Twin Towers, but as soon as we were going to the war and they were like, oh, this kid, this was an attack from the outside? Okay, well, we're going to go kick their butts. But as far as sympathy for citizens of the city of New York, there was next to none. Ask around, there still is. Next to none. For some reason, my cousin was not in school that day. Had she been in school, she probably would have had a lot more difficulty making it home. Her school was not far from the World Trade Center. Just a fact. It was not far. But, by some miracle, she wasn't there that day. Weird. I'm happy, obviously. She has children of her own now. It's kind of a big deal. New York City was my home. That's where I'm from. And until they stop being retarded and electing communists, I'm not going back. And I got to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think I'm going to ever actually go back. We'll see how well that works. I do have a wedding coming up here here in the next year. We'll see. <clears throat> but if they were smart, they'd get the hell out. I didn't really have an issue when people who weren't from New York were like, well, that's New York. What am I getting involved for? Now, I did have an issue when they <laughs> was like, yeah, but you joined the military, dummy. What do you think you're getting involved for? That was attack. Yeah, it was an attack on New York City. It was an attack on the country. Why'd you put the uniform on if you didn't want to respond to it? And in the same, and, and this is one of the reasons why I look at Beck and I'm like, mm. if you can't see the difference between Israel and the United States, why it would be different fundamentally for the whole world to respond differently to Israel versus responding to the United States, then you really are lost. Israel is not the United States. There would be a lot of American citizens who would be deeply affected. I 
I know many of them. But the effect it would have on America as a whole, if we just did nothing, is nil. The average citizen who doesn't have family in Israel would not notice. Think about that. Because the average citizen, and this is one of the things that people don't understand, particularly in America, the average American citizen has family in other American states. We do not have family members in a whole other nation. Now, first-generation immigrants do. But Israel is the only country is the only country made of first and second generation is immigrants from all other parts of the world. To Ben Shapiro and those like him, to Ben Shapiro, Mark Levin, I got it, you're here, you're happy to be Americans, this, that, and the other. But if you think that just because your families are directly affected, that that actually affects every other American, you're fundamentally overestimating the human condition. The average American does not have family in Israel. The average American, most Americans, do not have family in any large portion in any other country that they're in regular communication with. There are exceptions. Obviously, Jews in America have more family members in Israel than, they, than outside. Okay. Italians, particularly those that have not gone full Americana, will have family members that are still in Italy. Greeks will have family members that are still in Greece. That they're, re that they're regularly in. And mind you, and all of this is assuming that they have not been fully Americanized. Because if they've been fully Americanized, then they don't actually communicate with their families back home. And you can have Scotland, you know, Scottish members of your family still in Scotland, and Irish members of your family still in Ireland, and German members of your family still in Germany, and so on and so forth. And you can have all of these immigrants from all of these countries, but if they've been fully Americanized, they're not really in that deep, regular contact with their families in the old country. And you can't even call Israel the old country because it's pretty new. So your experience of American life is different from that of the average American. You want to know why the average American is not really into it? It's because it's not their family. It's because on some level, we do recall, yes, at one point, Jews were completely in control of Hollywood. I don't know if they still are. I don't track that sort of thing because I don't care. Hollywood's a cesspool. Jews, from what I understood at one point, fully ran the porno industry. Again, I don't care. I don't really know. It may not be true. I could care less. It's the porn industry. It's disgusting. But America, excuse me, <laughs> America and Israel are not exactly bastions of morality. 
And even if they were bastions of morality, by what standard? Israel is not a Christian nation, so it's certainly not Christian morality. It's whatever it is that is actually the modern Jewish reality, uh, morality. And I'm hard-pressed to figure out exactly what that is. I know it looks on some level like what, what I'm familiar with within, within Christianity, but it's also not, like a lot. It largely looks, it actually looks more like what I knew of Gnosticism's morality, which is a very thin thing indeed. It's not anchored on any sort of principle. Yeah, you have the instructions, you follow the rules, but there's no core motive as to why. <clears throat> and from what I've seen from a large portion, particularly of the secular Jewish community, they're about as about as moral as any Gnostic. They're not as degenerate as most, uh, well, they're certainly not as degenerate as Hamas. But they're not exactly bastions of morality. They're not exactly bastions, like they're not the people that you want to follow. I've never said about anybody who of Jewish descent since I've been alive that that's the guy who I want to follow. That's the guy. There's nobody alive in or from or going back to Israel who I hold up and say that's the kind of guy that you want to follow. It's not Ben Shapiro. It's not Mark Levin. It's not Alan Dershowitz or any of the, I don't even actually know if Dershowitz is Jewish. I don't care. The reality is, is alive today is nobody whom, with whom, from whom I would form my moral center. It's not Kenneth Copeland, not Glenn Beck. I don't know anybody today. Everybody who I would actually form my moral sense around has been dead for at least 75 years. In some case, in most of the cases, <laughs> we're talking about people who have been dead for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And they're not pagan. <laughs> and they're not Muslim. And none of them are Jewish. So why would I care? Why would I care more? <clears throat> Do you understand that I can actually follow my patrimony, my lineage, what should have been my inheritance? And if I trace the path back through all of the locations, as of right now, with the exception of one, I don't actually care if the locations that my family has traveled through, if any of them... Get to, and by family and traveling, I mean down through the generations. I don't actually care if they, you know, if they're attacked, if they get wiped off the map. There's a whole segment of my family that, it, like, legitimately, if something happened to the location where they live, 
and everybody who lived in that location was annihilated, I wouldn't care. Beyond the charity of one human being to another. I have no attachments there. There's nothing sentimental there. And such is the case for most Americans with regards to Israel. There is a young man at my job who is of Israeli descent. He's a good kid. Whatever it is that he would need to be able to help his family back home, assuming I can give it, I would give. Assuming I have the authority to give it, I would give. Any support, I would gladly. Because I understand the importance of family. But if he were to walk into my office and say, I need you to help me and we're going to go ahead and launch a counter-strike, I would tell him he's out of his mind because it's not my home. If he wants to go home and fight, everything I can give him, I will give him. Just out of human decency. But that's as far as that goes. Because his fight is not my fight. Whatever it is that he would decide that his fight is, is not my fight but I will certainly do whatever it is I can to help him and speed him along his way, God willing. And appropriately, if we were thinking with our heads instead of with, I don't know, our asses, that would be the response. Because it's not our fight. Ukraine, the same thing. I have a friend who I'm absolutely terrified he is over in Ukraine right now because he's from Ukraine. I'm terrified about the idea that he would be over there because he was a good guy and he was my friend. I was like, well, he's Ukrainian. What do you expect? No, no, no. He's from Ukraine. I didn't say he was Ukrainian. His last name was MacDonald. but he's from Ukraine. And I hope he wasn't there when the war popped off. And if he, if he came and asked for help, I would help. To the limits of human charity. Now, There is a slight difference in what I'm about to say. And there are a lot of people who would agree, and some people who I'm expecting will be absolutely outraged by what I'm about to say. If the next Holy Father called for a crusade to reclaim the Holy Land, from Constantinople all the way through the Levant, I would go. 
I would sell what I have, and I would go. And notwithstanding the capacity to do all of that, I would sell what I have and help someone else go. Because maybe it's possible I'm entirely too old. Or too broken, or whatever. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not physically capable. I would sell everything that I have, and I would either help someone else go, or I would go myself. And I would not come back until either I was dead or the job was done. It's a different story entirely. <clears throat> the kind of bloodshed that's been allowed to be to to come to pass in the Holy Land, in the places that Christ has sac has uh sanctified with both his presence and in and in the case of his crucifixion and resurrection with his blood it's abominable what has been allowed to transpire over there and it has only been allowed to transpire over there because Christendom does not possess it and I'm not saying that we wouldn't have to do a lot of bloody things to get it but unlike the rest of the world when Christendom is done doing bloody things, they actually stop. And that's a big difference. We don't push to the point of eradication, although I'm beginning to think maybe that wouldn't be the worst idea. Not from a moral standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. Like, oh, but the just war doctrine. I'm not talking about the just war doctrine. I'm not. I'm not theologian enough to talk about the just war doctrine. But from a practical standpoint, maybe it's time we put a stop to their capacity to do these things. Maybe it's time we call them out on being the heresy that they are. Maybe it's time that we call them out as not act like, I cannot believe that we've allowed them to perpetrate the lie that they worship the same God we do. They do not. Not even close. These are not my brethren. They're an abomination. They're a heresy. They're a heresy at best, an apostasy at worst. Regardless, they are still infidels. Anyway. That's another topic I don't even want to get into. The point is, the whole through line for this whole thing, the difference between the attack on Israel and 9-11 is the difference between a tiny little country in the Levant with no moral compass and the most powerful nation in the history of the earth. Which also, conveniently, has no moral compass. That's the difference. Why, didn't, why did everybody get behind America? They didn't get behind Israel. Because they had to get behind America. Because to get behind it, because to not get behind America was to stand in front of America, was to get in their way. And nobody is dumb enough to do that. Well... Now it's not so dumb, if they decide to. 
I know it sounds like a depressing topic, but that's just the way reality is sometimes. And that's why sometimes you just got to pay attention to what's in your wheelhouse. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 